Now what we're going to do through the summer is start at verse 1, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians and read right through the whole thing. Thirteen messages on this beautiful book. There are four chapters in it. And we're going to be focusing on picture joy. So we want you to be picturing joy, visualizing joy as you read through this book, which is a lot about rejoicing and joy in the Lord. Every week, I'm going to have an insert in your worship guide as I have this morning. And if you would like, you can use that at your breakfast table or your dinner table. Read through the Scripture again that I have preached that Sunday and meditate on it with some new and different angles that I've tried to put in those meditations. And we're going to go line by line, verse by verse, through the text of the book of Philippians with the devotionals as well. So all of that is prepared for you. These devotionals will be available on Facebook, the Facebook page of First Baptist New Orleans, and I'm going to be uh, posting them as well on my Facebook so you can get them electronically as well. You know you can also get the sermon notes electronically, and you can download the sermon in audio and video format from our website, fbno.org. All right. This morning we start with... Chapter 1, verse 1 of the prison epistle, the book of Philippians. And it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That last verse, don't you like that? You may need to rehearse that some. Paul is writing an epistle of joy. He is doing so from prison. Later on, he's going to mention his chains. Have you ever heard a chain gang? I've heard a chain gang twice. I was in the courtroom down at Broad and Tulane when I was a reporter. And I was covering something and they brought in a chain gang. And the chain gang has to march in rhythm, which they did in order to walk because not only are their hands and feet chained together, but they are chained to one another. And it makes an ominous sound to hear the chain gang walking into the courtroom. It's clang, 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 clang in rhythm. I heard it again when I was teaching the Scriptures at the Maximum Security Unit in Gatesville, Texas for Texas Department of Criminal Justice, the prison there. 
I was waiting on a chain, they called it, from Houston. And the chain from Houston came, and they marched in, in rhythm, into that room. And I spoke to them about the confidence they could have in the Lord Jesus and the comfort He would bring, and I saw terror in their faces because many of them had never been to prison before. They'd been in the jail, and now they were in prison. In fact, it was from Houston that Carla Faye Tucker came to that very prison in 1984. They say she fell in Houston, and she was part of the chain gang that clanged into that maximum security unit one day. Say, even with chains on your hands and maybe legs, even incarcerated, it is possible for you to say, rejoice. And again I say, rejoice. Let your rejoicing be known unto all men. Paul will say that in this letter. He's going to emphasize joy to this church that he loves. Now, they've had some difficulties. Every church does. But I don't see the great doctrinal issues in this church that you do in a church like the one at Corinth, where for 16 chapters, Paul goes from one serious problem to another. That's not what he does in the book of Philippians. I think he wants to write to him first and say, thank you. You're terrific. I love you. And he wants to encourage them in their walk with the Lord, and he wants that church to stay together because the forces in the world seek to tear us apart perpetually, in the family, at work, in every group that humans form, including in the church. And unity was a high value for Paul, and it was a high value for Jesus, who prayed that we would be one. And it ought to be a high value for you. The deacons and pastors in the churches are charged to maintain unity in the bond of peace and to work toward unity in the church of Jesus Christ. Does that mean everybody at Philippi is going to think the same thing? Nope. Does that mean everybody in New Orleans First Baptist will think think the same thing about what we're talking about? We're talking about a unity that comes from our focus upon the Savior. Here's what I want you to do. Picture... Two friends writing a letter. Start there. Picture two friends writing a letter. Because the salutation says, Paul and Timothy. When you read the letter, you discover, well, Timothy's kind of a minor player here. Mostly it's Paul talking to this church, and sometimes he's sharing things in the first person singular, and he's talking about his own life, but he includes Timothy in the salutation because two are better than one. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, what? There am I in the midst of them. There's something about two or three people 
that has it over one in sensing the presence and power of God. I'm among you when there's just two or three of you. In 1 Corinthians, he says, by the word of two or three witnesses, that's how we'll establish the facts. Because two or three people can look at something and from inevitably their different perspectives share what they see. And so from ancient times, two or three witnesses is what you needed when you were trying to prove your case in court. Paul writes and he says, hey, Timothy's with me. It's good news. Paul doesn't like to be alone, I'm telling you. Okay? I've never been a single adult. I was a single child, but never a single adult. Okay? Got married as soon as I reached adulthood, basically. And I don't know what it is like to be a single adult, but I know Jesus, and I've been studying him all my life, and he was a single adult. And I've read about Paul, and he was a single adult. And Paul's friends are very, very important to him. And I've noticed that not only in my life, but in the lives of my friends, single and married, how important friends are to us. Paul didn't like to be alone. Sometimes he feels deserted. He feels like everybody's left. Nobody's thinking about him. He sends instructions to the churches to say, somebody bring me my parchments. I need my cloak before winter. Are you listening out there? Everybody's gone. Where are my friends? I need them here. That's who Paul is. I think this is a joyful letter in part because Timothy is there. You can't maximize your life by yourself. I'm telling you, you can't do it. No man is an island. We're all to be in relationship and fellowship with people around us. You can't maximize your life without connecting to people. And Paul knew this and he connected to them in powerful, significant ways. I think he likes having Timothy around too because Timothy's younger, okay? And this is an intergenerational friendship. He talks about Timothy sometimes like he's a son. In fact, he calls him my son, Timothy. He's his son in the faith and son in the ministry. And he talks to the boy in the letters to Timothy, first and second Timothy. And you can hear Paul, the father, talking to his son. You know? God's not given us a spirit of fear, Timothy but of power and love and, and discipline. He wants Timothy out there doing the battle. He doesn't want him to be afraid. He knows his potential better than Timothy does. He knows that he can handle things, and he's equipped for the task, and God's called him to do it, so he challenges Timothy on every hand. He loves to have Timothy with him. It's part of his joy because Timothy's his son, and the youthfulness of, the, of his presence is a blessing to him. He's writing to all the saints. 
who are at Philippi. God's holy people is how this translation says it. Usually it's translated saints. He mentions the saints before he mentions the pastors and deacons. Brother deacons and pastors. The saints come first. The church comes first. And it's all God's holy people to whom the letter is addressed even before he gets to the leadership. To all God's people at Philippi, in the church there, young and old, rich and poor, high and low, whoever you are, you're important. You're one of God's holy people. Don't you forget it. Everybody in the church needs to hear that too. We live in a city where we think of saints as people who are lofty and high and selected and put on the pedestal and way up there and they're different from us. But in the Bible, when the word saint is used, the word hagios, it refers to all the believers in Jesus, to all the folks there, all the saints. You're God's holy people. And a saint is somebody who's set apart for the purposes of God. So when you go out into the world, you're down at Jackson Square, you're tooling around at, uh, on Canal Street, you're one of God's holy people. And even though you're in the mix and you're walking down the sidewalk with other people around you, you are separated for the purposes of God. That's who you are. He talks to the saints who are at Philippi together with the episkopos, and diakonos. Those are the two Greek words. What word do you think we get from episkopos? Episcopal, episcopal, right? And diakonos is deacon. It's together with the elders, sometimes it's translated elders, here it's translated overseers and deacons. There are two offices in the church, the overseers and the deacons. Sometimes this word's translated bishops. All right. Paul is acknowledging the leadership in the church because the leadership's important, and he wants all the saints that are at Philippi to respect the elders and the deacons who are among them. And so he shows respect for them, and he calls them out. He does it, too, because they have extra responsibility in everything that he writes here. Everything in this letter, they need to pay attention twice. If you're going to teach, if you're going to lead, you need to know more. You need to be more diligent. You need to carry it forward. You need to do the work. And so for all the deacons gathered here in this room, and we have about 40 in our church, and we also have multiple pastors Jonathan is here somewhere right there, a youth pastor. Listen, with the Episcopos and the Diakonos, we have the responsibility, the charge from the Holy Spirit to give leadership in this spiritual way that he describes in this letter to the church of Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace and peace, I love that. Don't you want some peace? Hey, Paul wants that for him. Peace, brother. Have you ever wanted to say that to somebody who's agitated? Peace, brother, peace. Calm down. Let your heart still. What are you so overwrought about? 
Something got you stirred up? You think the sky is falling? Peace. Grace to you. And then he says, I thank God on every remembrance of you. Picture happy memories. Hey, I decided to bring a picture for you. Can I get this on the camera? Can you focus in on this one? Do you know this face? You know who this is? George Beverly Shea. You know how long this man lived? A hundred and, wasn't a hundred and four? He was born in 1909. He served the Lord his whole long life. Do you know that he sang in this church from right here? Back in 2006, did you know that? I can't think about George Beverly Shea without giving thanks. This is a happy memory for me. He, along with Cliff Barrows, Cliff led How Great Thou Art, which Cliff Barrows and the Billy Grand team introduced to the world. He led it right here. And Billy Graham spoke right here. He's about to have his 95th birthday. And Franklin Graham, they stood on this platform. Every time I think about them, I think about them with joy. It's a happy memory. Picture happy memories. Do you have some? The Apostle Paul might be thinking about going by the river where Lydia was. They had a prayer meeting by the river there at Philippi. He went down there expecting that he'd be able to share the gospel with that group, and sure enough, they listened. And Lydia, we think she was probably a convert to Judaism, maybe. At least a God-fearer, somebody who worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although she was probably a Gentile. And she's part of this little gaggle of folks by the river having a prayer meeting. And Paul comes and he shares the gospel with them. And Lydia trusts in the Lord Jesus. And that's a happy memory for him. Not all the memories from Philippi are happy for the Apostle Paul. Some of them are pretty painful. He's got memories like you have. There are some things maybe you wish you could forget. Paul's got some of those. Have you ever had your put, feet put in the stocks and put in the darkest, deepest dungeon in a prison? Nobody treating your wounds and your back is bleeding, and your shoulders are bleeding. And you're sitting in your own blood. That's what happened to him at Philippi. Where he wrote this letter to the church. He and Silas were beaten severely. They said, keep them safe. So the jailer put them in the darkest place and put their feet in the stocks. Paul remembers that moment, though, with a context of God's grace. The earthquake angel came and shook the place. All the doors sprang open and the chains fell off and every prisoner in the prison 
was free, the Scripture says. And there was a jailer there in Philippi who took his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought he had breached his trust as a Roman soldier and the prisoners were all going to escape. And it was only Paul shouting out in the middle of the night, do yourself no harm, don't kill yourself, we're all still here. That kept the man from thrusting that sword into his heart. He paused and he called for a light, realized they were all still there. This happened at Philippi. This is one of the places where Paul got locked up and beaten up. And the Philippian jailer was trembling when he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And the apostle may have been addressing his physical question or a spiritual question, but he went straight to the gospel and said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You ever quoted that verse? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That happened at Philippi. It happened on a painful night when the crowd turned against him. But he remembers the Philippian jailer washing his wounds that next morning and baptizing him and his household who came to faith in Christ. Every time I remember you, I remember you with joy, he said. Now his painful experiences at Philippi were not over. The next day, the leaders of the town came found out he was a Roman citizen and asked him if he wouldn't mind leaving. Would you mind leaving town, go somewhere else? Basically, they walked him to the city limits and said goodbye. And that was Philippi, the place he remembers with joy. Every time I pray for you, I pray with joy for your partnership in the gospel. Picture prayer with joy, okay? Paul says he's praying with joy. Picture it. What does it look like? Do you ever pray with joy? How do you pray? Do you pray with joy? Do you pray with sadness? Do you cry every time? Do you pray with intensity? Do you pray with passion? How do you pray? Are your prayers memorized prayers and you just go on through them, you know, and really there's not any emotion stirred in you at all? Watch out now. Jesus said, we don't need that kind of praying going on. If you're going to do the memorized prayers, you've got to think about them and let the passion roll. And if it's not, if you're not connecting body and soul to the words you're saying, it's no good. That's what Jesus said. Jesus wants some prayers from the heart. He said, get in the closet, close the door, tell God what you're thinking. What's on your heart. When Paul did that, when this apostle got by himself with God, 
and he started praying for the Philippian Christians. I pictured this great big smile breaking out on his face. Or maybe he's walking around in the house with the Roman soldier watching him. And he's just praying and he's smiling. He can't think about these folks without smiling. He's got a smile on his face. It's joyful praying. You got to pray if you're going to pray with joy, okay? So if it's just your prayerless, I know there's no joy in your praying. We got to correct that this summer, okay? We got to have some joyful praying from everybody. Going back to the folks who have blessed your life, praying that God will continue to use them to bless others. Being passionate in your prayers as you think about them and pray for them and lift them up to the Father. And maybe like the Apostle Paul then writing a note to them and saying, I was praying for you today and I was so happy remembering how God used you in my life. And here's a note to let you know some dear saint somewhere needs that note from you this summer. And when you think about what happened in your life with them, it's going to make a smile break out on your face as you're praying. Paul says, it's your partnership in the gospel. That's what really stirs my soul. And he uses the word for fellowship, that familiar word koinonia. It's that we are sharing together in this gospel thing, you and I. Sometimes Paul felt alone. Sometimes he was alone. Sometimes he preached and nobody listened. Sometimes it felt like his words fell on deaf ears. But he knew at Philippi, there was Lydia and that jailer and his household and some other folks who got the truth of the gospel. I mean, they sucked it in. They put it in their soul. They internalized it. And they became self-governing and self-supporting. And they were working on their church. And they were doing the good things that God called them to do. And they were even sending offerings to help him out. They were participating in the gospel. They were serious about it. They weren't spectators. They were tied in. That causes joy. When you think about somebody and you're praying for them and you know how committed they are to faith in Christ and the work of the Lord, it makes you smile. It blesses you. You can't pray without joy. He says... I am confident that he who began this good work in you will carry it forward until the day of Jesus Christ. And this is the other thing you've got to have if you're going to pray with joy, okay? Because we, all our prayers cannot be complaints. They shouldn't all be asks and petitions. We need to have some thank yous in our prayers. And the Apostle Paul prays with joy because he's got a kinship with him in the gospel and he knows he's not alone. We're together in this thing. Timothy's here. That blesses me. Puts a smile on my face. Thinking about you, how hard you're working at Philippi to share the gospel with people around you. That puts a smile on my face. And especially because I am confident 
that God has got you in his hand. And even though I'm not there and I can't attend to everything going on, I know the Holy Spirit is with you. I can't pray with joy until I have confidence in the God who saved me. Who saved me. That he's going to finish his work in me. That he's not going to give up. Sometimes I want to give up on myself. Sometimes I feel miserable about me. Sometimes I look at myself and think, why does God mess with this junk? But God who saved us is faithful, and you can be confident in this, to complete the work he starts in us. I want to say this to you, my brother and sister, okay? Sister, listen up. God started a work in you maybe years ago. I am confident he's going to complete it. He's going to carry it forward until he comes again. My brother, God started a work in you maybe back at your father's knee or in a wooden bench in a Sunday school room somewhere. God started a work in you, my, my brother, and I am confident he's going to complete it in you. He's going to carry it forward. You can't have joy until you stand in this confidence and know that God is going to attend to you and complete what he started in you. And he's not going to abandon you. Even though your life has hit some dead ends and you've had things happen that you wish they wouldn't and the pains maybe has been difficult for you to bear, he who started this good work in you, I am confident, will complete it. Pray joy. Let it be your style. Let it be your demeanor. Come to God with gratitude first. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Start there before you get to all the petitions and troubles. Say, God, before I get there, I just want to thank you for the life you've given me and the love that is a gift from you and your son Jesus who makes all the difference in my life and the friends you've given me that prop me up and love me too. God, before I get to the petitions, I want to say thank you. And I can't think about all you've done for me without this smile on my face. Knowing that you began this good work in me and you're going to carry it forward. Let's bow together. Somebody in the room maybe has never trusted Jesus as Savior. What a joyful decision to make, move to make. To reach out toward the God who's reaching out to you. Would you in this moment confess your sin and receive the Christ of Calvary? who loves you and gave himself for you. Maybe you need a church home. Maybe you need a new beginning. Maybe you're the one who started a long time ago and the good work seems like it petered out. And God is whispering by his Holy Spirit to you to have confidence in him. He began the work and he's going to carry it forward in you. By your Holy Spirit, God, we pray Give your encouragement. Give attention to our need.
Help us hear you. In Jesus' name, amen.